Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. And as they are going, I invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. We, uh, for the rest of of August and Labor Day weekend, we're uh, doing a short series on Paul's second missionary journey. So last week, Pastor Jim uh, started us out in Philippi, and this week we're going to move to the next stage of Paul's journey. So um, as we, as you are finding Acts chapter 17, let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. God, as we uh, open your word together as uh, the people of God, as your family, uh, gathered here this Sunday morning, um, August 16th in Shoreline, Washington. Uh, we pray that you will open our hearts to hear the things that you have for us. Uh, may we uh, be ready and prepared for the ways that you may call us into new things uh, and the ways that you are calling us to serve you this week. We pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, so if you, Cliff, if you can put the map up um, just to, as a recap here. Uh, so if you remember, uh, Pastor Jim last week talked about how at the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey, which began here in Antioch, he visit, he began by visiting a number of the churches that he had established on his first journey. And then he was going to go a couple different ways and the Lord kept sending him, uh, telling him, no, you can't go that way. And so he just continued this way until finally uh, they made their way over to Philippi. And if you remember last week, things didn't necessarily go very well for Paul and his companions in Philippi. Uh, it started out pretty pretty well, and then all of a sudden they found themselves in prison, and there's an earthquake. Um, and the Lord was working even in the midst of the prison and the earthquake. Uh, God was at work. Uh, but at the end of their time in Philippi, uh, the people who had thrown them in prison said, Hey, sorry, we did that. Um, we didn't realize that that you were Roman citizens and we shouldn't we we're not supposed to do that without a trial and things like that. So can you please leave uh, so that we don't get in trouble? And and so they did. And and they 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 left Philippi and they made their way. We see um, in Acts chapter 17 or if you look at the very end of Acts chapter 16, the last sentence in my translation says, then they left. Uh, and we begin in chapter 17. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. So if you see here on the map, I know it's really small, but uh, they made their way from Philippi here and they made their way here to Thessalonica uh, right there uh, in what uh, this says Macedonia there for you. This is modern day Greece. Um, and they made their way to, to, to Thessalonica. Now, a couple of things about Thessalonica as we as we begin. Um, if you're like me, uh, you have no idea anything about Thessalonica until you have somebody tell you or you read about it. Um, in my mind, I've always thought of Thessalonica as a pretty small, out of the way city. Um, there's a couple books in the Bible to the Thessalonians, but you don't know a whole lot about it um, unless maybe you've been there before. But um, Thessalonica was actually the chief port city in the area of Macedonia. Um, so it was, it was a major uh, thoroughfare for, for port traffic. Um, you know, they would come with shipments and, and really into this whole region of Macedonia. 
this this was the main city for for all the shipments coming in to Macedonia. But it was also lo- located. You can't really see this very well, um, but if you look along here, um, there is. Sorry, let me adjust my microphone here for a second. Uh, there's a there's a very faint gray line that you can't see very well, so I'm just going to trace it for you. Um, this is called the Via Ignatia, which is the main land route from uh, from this region of, of Asia Minor, Turkey, um, to uh, through through Macedonia, and it keeps it continues on. If the map were to continue, it would continue to the other uh, end of the Greek coast, and then there's a shipping route to to Rome, to Italy and, and Rome. And so this is a, a, a major highway of travel. And this is actually most likely what Paul is traveling here from Philippi to Thessalonica because each of the cities that he stops at along the way are uh, part of this Via Ignatius. So it's, it's located as a major port city for the, for the region of Macedonia. Uh, it's located on a main land route for, for commerce, for military transportation, um, and it really was the largest and the most important city in the whole region of Macedonia. So just to recap, uh, chief port city for Macedonia, uh, chief, chief port city for that region, uh, located on a major land route for commerce and military transportation and the largest city in the region. I don't know. I know this is a bit of a stretch for us to understand what that kind of city might look like today. Uh, very similar, right, to, to where we are. I mean, major city in the Pacific Northwest, major land route, I-5 running north to south, I-90 heading east, uh, major major land route for commerce, transportation, for military, uh, major port city for people coming and going, business, uh, largest, most important city in the region, of course, Portland. Um, <laughs> and and so we get we begin to get a sense of, as we as we understand what kind of city uh, Thessalonica was and we understand what kind of city we live in, we understand perhaps some of the culture that might have been going on. A lot of a lot of people coming and going, a lot of new people, new faces coming in the area. And God has called Paul to this city in Thessalonica to begin to establish a work to, to begin to share the gospel with these people. It's a major key city, and so you're, you're, we're going to see that, that God has big plans for Paul here. And, and you would think, uh, I mean, if, if you were to go, say, into a city like that, and you're going to establish a new church there. And it's hard for us to keep this in mind because uh, for us, as we think about planting a church, uh, I don't know if we can think of a place within the United States where we could just say, well, we're going to go plant a church in an area where nobody has heard the gospel before. Nobody has any idea what Christianity is or anything like that. Um, obviously, we there are a number of churches in Seattle. But just imagine if you were to go to a city like like Thessalonica and you're and you know that God has called you to, to establish a church here. Uh, how long would you want to spend with the people in order to in order to be sure that the work is going and then you can say, OK, this this work is going. How long do you think that would take you? Just throw out some numbers. Two years. I, I hear a lot of people say two years. Is that a consensus? All right. Well, we'll go with two years. Right. It's going to it's going to take a while. Right. Um, so we're going to take a look at, at how long Paul spends here in Thessalonica. So uh, let's let's continue reading. 
And as we, as we look today, we're going to talk about what happened on their visit. Then we're going to take a look at what happened after they left. And then finally, we're going to really have two big ideas for us to take away with this. Um, so let's continue on verse one. They came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. If you remember last week uh, in Philippi, there wasn't a Jewish synagogue. Uh, there was a very small Jewish population and there wasn't enough for a synagogue. So they were meeting out by the river. But here there's there's a significant Jewish population, enough of one for them to have a synagogue. Verse two, as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. Uh, It's always interesting. Why does he say not a few prominent women? Um, Is that like not any prominent women or not a few? It's a lot. I don't know. But um, I think most people think that there are a good handful of prominent women. So if you remember, again, last week in Philippi, one of the main people who was part of the founding of that Philippian church was a woman named Lydia, a prominent woman in the air. So this is a theme for Paul that that uh, that these these uh, wealthier women in the city are part of the beginning of this work. And so we have um, we have some Jews from the synagogue. Uh, a number of God-fearing Greeks who would have been uh, Gentiles who, who probably hadn't fully converted to Judaism, uh, but, but were participating in, in the life of the synagogue in some way, and then some prominent women. So we have this handful of people that, that come and join the work. Uh, and we're told that Paul is there for a total of three Sabbaths. But we have some conflict But other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials shouting. These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. Uh, so they have a, a, there, there's some possibility here that, that Paul that Luke only only tells us about the three times that Paul was there on the Sabbath. But we get a sense that whether it's three weeks, maybe it's double that. Maybe he spent some time outside of the synagogues in the later weeks. Uh, Paul is not in Thessalonica for a very long time. We didn't get our two year mark. Uh, It's possibly as short as three weeks, um, possibly maybe two months at the most. Uh, Paul is not in this region for very long. And and in the midst of this, uh, the way that his time in Thessalonica ends is not with a great. That was that was good. You guys are, are ready to go. Um, you, you've got your your work established. I'm going to move on to another place. It's Paul and Silas are leaving under the cover of darkness after Jason, who uh, we only know from this passage, is who, what, probably one of these God fearing Greeks that we talked 
we talked about. He's probably not Jewish uh, based on his name. So you have this guy, Jason, who gets gets arrested by this mob and and they bring him and there's this crowd and they're they're angry. And and Jason, this this new Christian, he's been a Christian at most a few weeks uh, is is now posting bond. Probably this bond that he's posting is is an assurance not only that he's not going to cause trouble, but but that uh, his friends, Paul and Silas, he's, he's sort of paying to make sure that nothing happens to them. And then they usher them out of the city under the cover of darkness. And that's the beginning of the work in Thessalonica. Uh, and now, as, as you think about that, as, as you read about that, um, and and the, the conflict that is happening, uh, as I read that, my impressions of, of what this community is going to be like after Paul leaves is you're going to have a bunch of people who say, well, that was an interesting few weeks. Uh, probably not going to do much with that. I mean, we just got arrested. We just like, do I really want this for the rest of my life? Do I, do I really want to continue pursuing this, this idea of Jesus? I'd never even heard. And, and now I'm believing I'm I've decided that this Jewish Messiah is is a savior. What? Let's let's just go back to business as usual. Uh, and yet, as we read the beginning of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, if you turn there, um, we see a very different story than what we might expect after this three week tour that Paul has in Thessalonica. So I encourage you to turn to. to First Thessalonians, we're going to spend uh, most of the rest of our time here. Uh, it's interesting as you're turning there that that the charge that gets leveled against the Christians in Thessalonica is that they're proclaiming a different king. They're defying the laws of Caesar and proclaiming a different king, uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, and as they do so, the, uh, we should keep in mind and, and have uh, our attention to the fact that all the way back in AD 16, so probably about 30 years before this, uh, Tiberius Caesar has made a decree that you are not allowed to make any predictions that that the current leader in charge of the Roman Empire is going to change. Uh, you can't say, hey, he's going to get sick and he's going to die. You can't say, hey, another army is going to come in and wipe you out. You're, it's, it's illegal to say to say anything, to create any sort of works of art that challenge the current Caesar, the current leadership of the Roman Empire. And so the charge that's getting leveled against them is, hey, there's another king, Jesus. And if we were to take time to read First Thessalonians all the way through, what we see is, that Paul regularly is talking to them about the coming of, of the Messiah, Jesus. That, that he will return and he will establish his kingdom. Uh, direct confrontation to the kingdom of Caesar. And so there's this, there's this element of where when they make this charge in the book of Acts, there's a possibility, that, well, maybe they just don't understand what's going on. No, they absolutely understand what's going on. When Paul speaks of, of Jesus as the Messiah... This presents a challenge to all the kingdoms of the world that claim that they are in charge. Paul is saying, no, actually, it is Jesus who is Lord, not Caesar. So as we read uh, beginning here in First Thessalonians, let's take a look at what happened uh, and what, what was left of this small community of some Jews 
uh, a handful of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. Verse 6 of 1 Thessalonians 1. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what happened when we visited you. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Chapter 2, verse 13 and 15 through 15. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your fellow citizens the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone. So you have here, uh, can we put up that first map, Chris, or Cliff, sorry. It's like the second time I've said someone's name wrong today, sorry. Um, So here, this is the region of Macedonia. This is Achaia. And Paul is saying here that this church that he has spent uh, a few weeks with, that their faith is being made known somehow in the few weeks that that, that their faith is being heard about, and made known all throughout this entire region of Macedonia and Achaia. That all of the people around here who have, again, no idea what Christianity is for the most part. I mean, this is, this is a brand new thing. Paul is on his way explaining this message for, for the first time for most of these people. And that somehow in the first few weeks that Paul is with the Thessalonians and then has to leave... Under the cover of darkness. And we get the sense that as we're reading, did you, did you hear that these, these people were still experiencing the suffering? Really, Paul, in, in Philippi, Paul was the one who ended up in prison. In Thessalonica, nothing really happens to Paul. But it's, it's these new Christians that are being persecuted. And as we, if we were to, again, if we were to read First and Second Thessalonians, this persecution did not stop after Paul left. Uh, this was an ongoing thing because to proclaim another king other than Caesar and to proclaim that these pagan idols that our community has been worshiping and that that bring us together as a community uh, are no longer worthy of our worship, that we only should worship. This is an affront not just to these gods, but it's an affront to the entire community that says this is how we find our identity. This is how we find our worth. This is where we find our meaning. Uh, we worship these gods because these gods are the ones that provide our rain for us and provide our, our crops and, and enable us to live a life of security. And you're disregarding them. What are going to be the consequences for us as a community if we if we uh, challenge these gods and we make them angry? And and so these people are not happy with their the, with their fellow uh, Thessalonians who have turned to Jesus Christ. And, there, and this persecution is ongoing afterwards. And yet, even in the midst of all of that persecution, we're told that the faith of these people, after just a few weeks, 
is being heard about throughout Macedonia and Achaia, throughout this entire region. People are hearing about the work that God has been doing in them. And it's being heard about. And so Paul, uh, most likely at this point, is, is either in Athens or Corinth, just a few stops down on his journey. And he's hearing this report of what's going on with these Christians that he barely spent any time with in Thessalonica, that he's hearing that their faith is thriving. He's hearing that it's growing. Chapter 3, verses uh, 6 through 8. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. Again, in just a short time, these people are standing firm in the midst of persecution. And Paul hears this report and it gives him joy and it gives him life to know that the Lord has been faithful to the work that has been going on, even though he is not able to be there. Uh, I want to take a look at one last passage here in First Thessalonians so that we really get a sense of what's going on. Uh, and then I want us to, to bring it home for what does this all mean for us today. Uh, first, going back all the way to the beginning of, of First Thessalonians, chapter, two, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. He says, as he begins his letter, We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So we've been talking about this idea that, this, that their faith is being made known throughout this entire region. And one of the things that, that we need to understand here as we're talking about their faith is being made known is it's not just that people in this entire region are hearing that, oh, these people in Thessalonica, like they're, they're worshiping, these, these Gentiles are worshiping this Jewish Messiah. That's interesting. They've, they've put their trust in him. That's, uh, but what we see here at the beginning of the letter is that, that their faith is not just something that has stayed up here. It's like, well, this is something that we believe and, and that's new and that's different for you. Uh, but it's, there's actually a work that is being prompted by their faith. That their faith has not just been something that they have assented to intellectually, but it has changed the way that they live their lives and they work out their lives among their fellow Thessalonians and among this entire region. Again, a major thoroughfare. So it's understandable how this news is spreading from Thessalonica because this is a, a key city. But, but it's not just, hey, we, we were walking through Thessalonica and there's this, there's this church there now. I've never heard of that thing. Uh, but it's, there are these people there and they're doing something different. And that their faith is producing a work that changes the way that they live their lives. It changes the way that they choose to love one another. And so the next thing that we see is their labor is prompted by love. The way that they are in the midst of the people who are persecuting them and rejecting them and want to have nothing to do with them, we see it's, it's a labor of love in the midst of these people. 
And it's a labor of love for one another, that they are serving one another, that they're sharing their lives together, that they are concerned with a life with with one another's lives with, in a level that ha, is unheard of before. And so this labor of love, this work of love, it's not just, hey, we all love you. But it's it's a work of love that's being lived out in their day to day lives. And the people I mean, these are the again, these are the people that they would be, have been working with and knowing throughout their lives for for months and years. They would have worked together. And all of a sudden there's a change in their lives and the, there's a new love that's being put forth for these people. And finally, it's an endurance prompted by hope. It's a it's the ability to endure. The persecution and its ability to endure the, the rejection and the, being ostracized among their community because of the hope that they have in the Lord Jesus Christ. The hope that they have in the, for, for this life and the work that God is doing in them and the faithfulness that God will show and the hope that they have for, for the coming Messiah to return and the resurrection. And he says, he says we, we hear about this. It's being made known throughout the region. This, this faith and this hope and this love are being made known. And so we thank God for this. And so uh, as, we, as we reflect on this, there's, there's something really impactful for me. Um, the level of praise that Paul shows for these Thessalonians. The evidence that is, is being seen throughout an entire region of their faith and their love and their hope is is significant. Would you agree? And it's significant. And yet Paul was only there. How, what we said two years, right? Uh, imagine, I, I, I imagine if you were to go and plant a church, and you were there with them for two years, and you were to walk away, and and you hear a report like this. Imagine the joy that you would have to hear of that community and the, and the faith and the love and the hope that they have thriving, being made known throughout their region. Imagine if you were to have a church and, and have planted it and have been with it for 50 years. And then you were to hear about the work of the faith and the hope and the love that's thriving throughout their entire region. Imagine the joy that you would hear and, and the joy that you would feel with that community. And yet Paul is with them for just a few weeks. Just, just a short time. And what that tells me is that it's not about Paul. Right? Uh, and it's not about us in our region. It's about the work that the Holy Spirit can do when we open ourselves up and live and choose to live lives of outworking faith and labor in our love and endure with our hope on a daily basis. It's not about how great we are and what we can do. It's about us choosing to be faithful and the Lord and the Holy Spirit working in the midst of a community that chooses to be faithful and chooses to live their lives in such a way. And so I have two, two really big questions uh, comments here and, and observations for for two different groups of people in the audience first perhaps you're a newer christian perhaps you're a younger believer maybe it's maybe it's just a few weeks 
maybe it's just a couple years. Uh, maybe maybe you're maybe you're been a Christian your whole life, but but you're only 15, 16, 17, 18, and you feel like, well, God's going to use me at some point, but really I have to wait until I'm a little bit more mature as a Christian, until I get to this next level in my faith, until till I've graduated from college, till I have a job, till I'm more established, till till I have it all together. Maybe I need to learn some more theological concepts. I need to have a better understanding of the hypostatic union. Uh, I, need, I need to have it all worked out. And once I get all of those theological concepts and I have this, this understanding and I know my Bible a little bit better and I'm ready to go, then God is going to use me to do his work. I think the, the story of the Thessalonians tells us that you don't have to have it all figured out before God can use you. I don't think the Thessalonians had a good understanding of the hypostatic union at this point. Maybe they did. I don't know. Uh, but probably not. Probably they didn't have it, all the pieces worked out of their theology at this point. In fact, they didn't because Paul is writing them and helping them understand even more. That's part of the point of his letters here. But but they they're still working out their their theology. They're still working out. They don't I mean, they don't even have the new testament at this point that most of them probably didn't have the old testament these are these are gentiles they didn't have the things that, the resources that most of us have today and yet god used them and the holy spirit was working in the midst of the community you don't have to have it all figured out you don't have to wait for the for the training uh, you can trust and put your faith in god's saving work today Right where you are, and you can work that out in your jobs, and your homes, and your relationships. Your faith uh, can turn into a work, and, a, and a, your love can turn into a labor. Uh, your love to those around you, even to your enemies in the midst of hardship and persecution, you can, you can choose to demonstrate a love that makes people say, there's only one way that we can explain this love, and that has to be the gospel. The only way we can explain this love is that these people somehow follow a God who loved his enemies. Who loved us while we were still sinners. You can do this with an ongoing, enduring hope of the Lord's faithfulness today in your life. And the Lord's continued faithfulness tomorrow and until he returns. Hoping that the Lord and knowing that the Lord is going to be faithful in your life. You don't have to have it all figured out before God can use you. And secondly, um, for those of us, um, and I include myself in this because I've been to Bible college and I've had some theological training. Um, for those of us who have been around the church and we know scripture and maybe we've memorized it, maybe we've been through Awana, maybe we understand, uh, we, we have verses memorized and, and we, we've studied theological concepts. We've been to Sunday school for, for years and years and we've been learning and we've been faithful and we're continually growing in, in our knowledge of, of the word of God and, and, and what he wants for us. God doesn't need all of that to use you. Maybe he will use 
those things, that knowledge of Scripture, uh, that knowledge of your theology and, and this understanding. Uh, but he doesn't need that. What he needs is for you to show up and be faithful and to work out your faith in God in your day-to-day lives, in your relationships, in your jobs, in your homes. To love no matter what. And to demonstrate that love in a way that makes people pause and say, the only way I can explain this love is because these people worship a God who loves his enemies. And to continue to hope and to believe in a God who is going to be faithful for, to you today and tomorrow and until he returns. God doesn't need any of the things that we have in our Christian maturity. What he needs is us to be faithful, to continue to trust, to continue to love, to continue to hope. Amen. And he will use you. He might choose to use all of that knowledge that you have. He may not. Uh, But he can use you. And that's what he has called us to. So that our faith and our hope and our love, uh, by the grace of God, may be made known uh, throughout the entire region of the Pacific Northwest. (laughs) That's right, Nancy. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we we take a look at these Thessalonians and, and often we take a look at our own lives and we can feel so inadequate and so unprepared uh, to serve you in any meaningful way. And yet we see in the story of the Thessalonian church that it's not about our preparedness. It's not about what we can do alone. It's what you are doing in our midst. And so we ask that you open us uh, to serve you this week. May we be faithful uh, and may we work out our faith. May, may the, the source of our faith be made known through our actions. May our love be seen in the things that we say and do this week. And may we endure in our hope. May our hope cause us to keep going, uh, even when it seems like everything around us is falling apart. May we continue to endure in the midst of suffering and persecution or whatever challenges. May we continue to be faithful to you. Uh, And may this faith and hope and love cause our city and our region to know of you, God. May they hear it and may they put their trust in the God who loves his enemies. We pray this in your name. Amen. I'll close uh, with a prayer that Paul uh, gives to the Thessalonians here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. It says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus uh, 
clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. It's Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians, and may that be uh, your prayer for one another this week.